The Productive Woman, Episode 464. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Well, welcome and thank you for joining me. In this episode, I will share with you my conversation with lawyer, novelist, and writing coach Mary Adkins as part of our newly resumed Productive Living series. You'll find more information about Mary, along with links to resources she recommends and the various ways you can connect with her online in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 464. This episode is brought to you by one of my very favorite productivity tools, Text Expander. Take your time back with the power of Text Expander. Repetitive typing, little mistakes, searching for answers, they're all taking precious time away from you. But with Text Expander, you can take that back. And they're offering the Productive Woman listeners 20% off your purchase if you use my link, textexpander.com tpw and enter the code TPW when you order. You don't need to waste time typing or cutting and pasting things you've already worded perfectly. Simply create a snippet that you save in Text Expander, and you'll never need to retype it again. Your snippets are saved to the cloud, so they're always available on all your devices, Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. Now, if you haven't been around before when I've talked about this, a snippet is an abbreviation, a few keystrokes, that will automatically expand into the text you've assigned to it. I have dozens of snippets for frequently used text, such as phone numbers, email addresses, my state bar numbers, all the way up to longer messages comprised of several formatted paragraphs, with frequently shared information for clients, colleagues, upcoming podcast guests, and others. You can also create snippets that will automatically correct typos in words that you tend to misspell or mistype. With Text Expander, you can work faster and smarter. You can use Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything you type. You create these powerful snippets that save you time because all you type is the short abbreviation and Text Expander does the rest of the typing for you. Visit TextExpander.com slash TPW to learn more and use my code TPW at checkout to get 20% off your purchase. And now let's get into my conversation with Mary. I am so pleased to introduce to the Productive Woman listeners, Mary Adkins. Mary's a graduate of Duke University and Yale Law School and is now a writing coach and founder of The Book Incubator, a 12-month program to write, revise, and pitch your novel or memoir. She herself is the author of novels, When You Read This, which was picked as the best book of 2019 by a couple of sources, Uh, another novel called Privilege, and another one called Palm Beach, which was recently named as one of New York Post's best books of 2021. 
Her books have been published in 13 countries, and her essays and reporting have appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, Slate, and more. And I have really been looking forward to talking with her about making time for what she calls creative self-care. So welcome, Mary. Thank you. So happy to be here and chat with you. Well, I've been looking forward to this for a lot of reasons. You and I have some things in common, both being lawyers and you are published as a writer, and that's something that I want to do someday. So I'm looking forward to talking with you about sort of how you've done that. And I gave a little bit of an introduction to you, but maybe we can start by you telling us a little more about who you are, where you are, what you do, whatever you think it would be useful for us to know about you as we have this conversation. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. So yeah, maybe I'll kind of focus on the fact that since we're really talking about creative self-care today and how to carve out time for your creativity... I have always had that kind of creative spark since I was a little girl. And I think probably many of us do, if not all of us it might be universal, but that kind of burn to, to make stuff, you know, to create. And I think it's really instinctive for me. It was always, it was pretty much always writing. I mean, there were times I would play around with other things, drawing or take a painting class or dance. And I loved that too, but writing was the place where I really felt like I came alive. Like I came alive when I could just sit down and write a story, whether it was a silly story about like a princess, you know, when I was five, like that's the earliest story I've been able to find in my mom's boxes of our old things or a story about most recently, I've been working on a, a memoir about my fertility struggle. So whether it's deeply personal and real or fiction, it's always really fed me. Like it's kind of, it, it feels really nurturing and energizing to go into that space. And so I always loved it. Now, I also had always been interested in law. And so I, I did end up in law school and I loved law school because I really like learning and I like being a student. But when I got out of law school and started a law job, it really crystallized for me that what I wanted to be doing was creative writing, not legal writing. So I actually, I quit my law job after just seven months. I was the shortest tenured lawyer at the firm in the law firm's history, (laughs) (laughs) which I'm weirdly proud of (laughs) Um, because I really wanted to dedicate my energies to writing. So I got a job tutoring to pay my bills so that I could and move to a cheaper apartment when I was in my 20s. So, you know, this was kind of the time to do this kind of thing. Like it felt like a luxury that I had because I was only responsible for myself. And I started just doing the work to try to write a book that someone would want to publish. And that took a long time. I thought it would take a year. I remember telling people, it'll take me about a year. (laughs) Just funny now in retrospect, it, it took more like seven years where my first book was actually slated to be published before I got a book contract. And then, I mean, ever since then, it's just been a career that I, that I love. I write and I teach others how to write and how to find time for their creativity. And yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. And I have a kid who's five. (laughs) Five years old. That's a great age. So it's, uh, you said he, is he starting kindergarten? Yes. Two days ago. He just started this week. Yeah. That's a big milestone in a a mom's life as well as a kid's. But I mean, you know, we're moms here. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting story in terms of how you got from 
law school and, and Yale Law School to boot to doing what you're doing these days. And I want to talk about how you've done that and how you've managed to do that with a child and, and all that sort of thing. But maybe to set some context, I'd like to talk a little bit about how you personally get the things done that are important to you. And so if there is such a thing for you as a typical day, what might that look like? My typical day is I really, really try to find time to, to write. And I don't even mean, you know, because this podcast is about productivity and I know that you have an expansive view of productivity. That's not just like getting stuff done. And I, I do too. And so I don't just mean time to write creatively in the sense of like make progress toward the next project that I'm going to sell. You know, it's more like find some time to write I mean, it sounds kind of cheesy, but from my heart, whether that's journaling or working on a novel or working on something I want to publish. And for me, that tends to be in the morning. And so I will lately, because this summer we moved and it was the first summer that my son was not in daycare because he was going to be starting school. And so it was like between the lack of childcare and the the chaos of moving, the only time I could really do that was 5 a.m. <laughs> so I. I'm not someone who has always gotten up at 5 a.m., but this summer I have been because I ended up feeling like having that time was more important to me than sleeping later. And it was invaluable. So even if it was just an hour, it would be an hour of like quiet with my coffee and doing some writing. And I've kind of kept that up. So I try to do that in the morning because that's also when I'm at my most creative. I feel like that's when my brain is still firing almost like it's in a dream state. And I like that. I like to take advantage of that because sometimes some wacky and interesting things come out on the page that don't come out later in the day when, you know, it's three o'clock and I've been in, in my like cognitive mode all day. And then I try to move some way in the late morning run or go on a walk, but something. And then between the hours of kind of 1030 to three. That's when I'm working in the sense of running my business where I, I coach people to write their novels and memoirs. So I'm, I'm either teaching classes to them or preparing to teach a class to them or responding to emails, just dealing with that kind of stuff. And then at three, I pick up my kid or my husband picks up my kid. So we, we kind of take turns depending on the day. And around four, I'm done for the day. I just have found over the years, I don't do well if I'm pushing my brain after 4 p.m. <laughs> my brain really shuts down at 4 p.m. Plus, that's when my son, and that's been true even when he was in daycare, that would be around the time he came home. And so that's when I try to like, it's like, okay, we're going to do something. We're going to go to a playground or have a play date with a friend or go grocery shopping to cook for dinner. And he loves to help me cook. So that's always fun or something where it kind of it drifts into early evening where we'll be cooking together or doing something before that. And then I guess it just evening wise is, I think I used to have a really unhealthy relationship with, in fact, I know I used to have a really unhealthy relationship with productivity where I would really kind of work until bedtime. And it seems so obvious to me now that it's silly. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it because I feel like people hear that. They're like, that's so obviously unhealthy. But I didn't know that. And that's what I did. And it took me a really long time to realize like, this isn't good for me. 
not to have downtime because it would lead to anxiety, you know, poor sleep, feeling a sort of despair that I couldn't identify. (laughs) You know, it was like, it was just not, it was kind of bad all around. And so I had to draw a hard line with myself of, I do not work in the evenings. I do not work in the evenings. And like, obviously there are exceptions every now and then if there's a kind of like emergency, not probably the wrong word for it, because I like to say in my business, like in creative writing, there are no emergencies. <laughs> but if there's, you know, if, if there's something like someone's upset about something and I need to respond, I, I will do that. But I don't write at night either because I think of writing as my work, even though I love it. And so I try to either read or watch a show with my husband or we just sit outside and chat, but just something that's truly, that feels like decompressing and not productive, like in the traditional sense of productive, you know? Yeah. And I totally get that. I think a lot of us, maybe men too, but certainly a lot of us as women feel like to be able to call ourselves productive, we just need to work during every waking hour, mm-hmm. uh, including into the evenings. And I know a lot of professionals, people in my line of work as lawyers do that. Uh, you know, there's always something to be done. And so you just keep working. And uh, I love what you, you know, your reference to it is, is that being kind of an unhealthy relationship with productivity, because we have in our minds, many of us, that if we're not working in some way, we're not being productive and we're wasting time. And yet I don't believe taking breaks, having downtime is unproductive. I think it's a necessary component of a productive life. Yeah, I completely agree. And I have found it's necessary in the sense that like, if I don't do it, I'm going to crash. And so it's not like it even works not to do it because like at some point my body, I'll get a migraine or I'll get Mm. sick in another way, or I'll feel so anxious that I like, I don't feel like I'm okay. And we have to, you know, my husband and I'll talk about, I mean, but somehow it's going to come out that I haven't been taking breaks. And so I now realize like, I don't have a choice. Yeah. And it's interesting too how sneaky it can be because I had figured this out about my relationship to like professional work. But this summer, I hadn't figured it out in relationship to moving. Mm. So, you know, when you move, you you just want to be moved in, right? Because like, it feels really unsettled not to be moved in. Yeah. And so it was like, I was spending every waking minute just trying to get moved in. It's like I would wake up and I would start unpacking and start organizing and stacking boxes and taking them over to recycling. And then it's like, I'm doing that until I go to bed. And after a few weeks of this, I felt I was meeting with my therapist and I'm just, I do not feel okay. I do not feel okay. I'm in this weird swimmy state. And she's going, okay, what is your day? What are your days like right now? And when I describe it, she's like, does that sound healthy to you? Like, (laughs) you know, like you're not doing anything that nurtures you. Like you're not cooking food. You're just eating takeout. You're not carving out time to write, which you've said is really important to you, right? Like maybe moving in just takes longer than you thought it was going to take and you don't annihilate yourself in the meantime. And she was right. But I guess I wasn't applying what I had already learned to the moving process because I was just so determined to get it done. 
So it's sneaky. I feel like it sneaks up on me. And I think a lot of us experience that. We put these requirements on ourselves of, well, I've got to get unpacked, you know, by the end of this week, or I've got to get the kitchen organized today. And and the fact is, all of that can take as long as it needs to take. I'm with you though. I mean, it's un- we've moved several times over the course of our lives together here. And I'm the same way when we move. It's hard for me to relax before things are put away, when there are boxes around and all that sort of thing. So uh, finding a, a healthy balance there to, to get things taken care of without as you said, um, annihilating yourself in the process is important. But I agree with you, it's sneaky. We don't think of it in the same way as, you know, I'm working on legal matters at 10 o'clock at night. I know that's not healthy, but, you know, I've got to get the house unpacked. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, if it's for you, it feels like, well, it's for me, but that doesn't mean that it's nurturing. Like the energy of it is still very much just kind of pouring yourself out without being replenished at all. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Well, to your point of, of getting the writing done and the creative work that's important to you, I understand from the materials that I received about you that you wrote and published two novels while your son was a newborn or during that, you know, early stage of his life. And I want to know how you did that. Yeah. When that was happening, it was a time when I discovered Parkinson's law, Beard of Parkinson's law, Mm -hmm. the idea that the work will expand to fill the amount of time that you allocate for it. Yes. So I really discovered that because I actually had a deadline. I had a contract for my second novel and then I had a deadline for it that was only a few months after my son was born. So I had no choice but to write it in a very limited container. And I was nursing and we couldn't have afforded full-time childcare anyway, but honestly, it wasn't just money. I couldn't, right. I mean, he was like three weeks old. I mean, I wasn't ready to do that. So I basically had a couple of hours a day that I could write because either my husband would take him or my mom who was in town for the first six weeks or my friend, Rachel, who ended up being like his part-time nanny for those first few months. So I would have a couple of hours I could go off and write somewhere. And it really forced me to get efficient (laughs) about my work in a way I had never been before. Because when I was writing my first novel, I was in my 20s, I tutored at night and I had all day to write. And so it would be like, oh, I'll just wander around for a few hours and then set up at a coffee shop and write 100 words in, in an hour. Um, And this was like, okay, Mary, you have to write a scene every single day or you're not going to get this book done. (laughs) So one, it was more pressure. And like, you know, as I'm sure you probably talk about a lot on this podcast, like pressure is not always good. And in this case, it wasn't. I had writer's block in a way I'd never had before because I felt all this pressure. So I would stare at a screen and just not have anything to say. And so I ended up abandoning my computer and writing by hand. And that was one thing that really unlocked it for me. And two, I tricked myself into writing the book because I would start by journaling. And then I would start by journaling all the reasons I could not write the book that day. And then it would drift into writing the book. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I did that every day. It's so funny. And I don't know, it just makes me laugh in retrospect because like I, then I went back to all these journal entries that began with, here's why I can't actually write today. That turned into me writing a scene for the book. And I just would extract the scene from all of the talk about how I couldn't write the scene. <laughs> and at the end, I had a book. And so it's really a really kind of trippy experience that I think really helped me coach others because I was constantly finding these ways to get around my fear and my ego and the pressure I was feeling to finish it in a limited amount of time. And so I would be creative. So it was handwriting. I was a big one. And I, by creative, I mean creative in how I actually got it done. So it was, it was handwriting. When I felt paralyzed, like I didn't know what to put down, it was journaling until it just started to come out, which it always did. And then I think the handwriting too really helped with not editing as I went. And so that enabled me because you know when you it's so easy on a computer when you're typing to just delete, like highlight, delete what I just wrote. <laughs> and it's so tempting to do that. And in a when you're handwriting, you just don't have that. I mean, you could cross it out, but it's still gonna be there. So you might as well just keep going, <laughs> you know. So it was a like a very different dynamic, I think. And it was the constraints of handwriting, like not being able to do that were actually pretty liberating for me at the time. And that makes total sense to me. One of my favorite authors writes her novels by hand, and then the next day she'll type it up. Mm. When I think about that, for me, when you're typing something on a computer screen, it feels very formal and like it has to be right. Yes. Whereas if you're just writing something, oh, I'm just scribbling here. I love your your idea, though, of journaling why you can't do it. And I think that could be applied to a lot of things that we maybe need or want to do, but have some sort of friction that's keeping us from doing it. You could sort of start with, um, here are all the reasons why I can't do this thing today. So I'm not going to do it because I can't because of all these reasons. But if I was going to do it, this is how I would do it. Yes. And it can kind of sort of work into that. And then suddenly you've tricked yourself into you know, whether it's writing the scene or whatever the, the thing is, if you're stuck on something, even if it's a more sort of prosaic project that you need to do, but you can't figure out how to get started, starting with, well, I can't do it and I'm not going to do it because I can't. Yes. But if I was going to do it, this is how I would start. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Exactly. And it can help get sort of over that mental block that's keeping you from getting started on whatever the project is. So I really like that. Um, we often talk about self-care on this podcast, and I think it's an important thing for all of us as human beings and, and as women to take care of ourselves in different ways, whether it's how we eat or, or whatever else. You talk about uh, creative self-care or self-care related to creativity, I think is what that means. But I guess, tell me when you talk about creative self-care, what do you mean by that? I mean, what I was talking about a couple minutes ago, like for me, there's a kind of, and I, I love a, I love a treatment, like a, <laughs> a massage or a facial as much as the next person or a good bath or a mask or whatever. But I think for me, those always a little bit fell flat. Like 
they're fun. I don't have a problem with them, but I don't feel nourished at the end of it in the way that it seemed to to be intended where it's like, that's what self-care is. It's like, well, I don't actually feel full now. I just feel like I have soft skin, (laughs) (laughs) but creatively, even if it's 30 minutes, 45 minutes, if I sit down and I express something that is burning in me and wanting to come out, it's like a filter on my whole day. Mm. It's like, it can brighten my whole day. And that to me is creative self-care. It's like carving out just a little bit of time to express something in you that wants to come out can have this profound impact on the rest of your day. And, and it doesn't, we don't need to understand. I don't need to understand why, or kind of like unpack the reasons for that. It's just true. And so that's really what I think of as that and what I found really works for me and why it's so important that I find that time. And like I said, for me, it tends to be in the morning because that's just the easiest time to find it and the time I slip into it most naturally. For other people, it could be different. It could be totally different. I worked with this woman who is a doctor and she would just carve it out between patients. Like she was writing this middle grade novel, which means like a, a novel for grade school children. And she had two, she has two daughters. And so she wanted to write a book that they would like. And so in between patients, she would just work on this novel on the notes app of her phone. And I mean, she wasn't even at a computer <laughs> and or writing by hand. It was just like, jotting down the novel in between patients. And I just like, I, I just love to picture that because she, she wrote the whole novel that way. And I think it's such a good example of how mm. we all have these pockets, you know, and these pockets of time. Mm-hmm. And yes, you can use the pocket of time. Like we can use the pocket of time to quickly send an email that you need to send or pick up groceries that you need to pick up or like do the thing that's on your checklist that you need the quote unquote need to do. But we could also use it just to express something creative that yeah popped into our minds that day, you know? <laughs> and like that can be a beautiful thing, even though it even if it doesn't have a purpose or a destination or you don't know what it is yet. Yeah. I really love that as you're describing that, I'm thinking that's not just for writers. We all have a spark of creativity in us. We as women are creative in many different ways. And it is an act of self-care to let that out, to use our voice, whether that voice is in writing or a drawing or sewing something or whatever it might be for you to make time for that to give voice to whatever that thing is that's within you really is an important act of self-care. And I've honestly, I've never thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad to bring that up here then. Cause I, once I kind of recognized how this could play a role in my own life and just started to indulge it instead of dismiss it, it just made such a big difference in my happiness level throughout the day. I mean, for example, And this might be relatable to some of your listeners who don't think of themselves as writers. I do think of myself as a writer because I am one. I'm a novelist. I've been a novelist. Like that's what I've published. But I, I never would have never thought of myself as a poet. I don't, I don't know how I've never even taken a poetry class. I don't know how to write poems. 
But a few years ago, I started having these poems pop into my head. And it, like when I was driving down the road or in the shower, and I would dismiss them at first, like, Mary, you're not a poet. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. Like, you know, just that kind of critic, critical voice that we all probably have. And, and then I just thought, okay, well, let me just, I'm just going to put it in the notes app of my phone. <laughs> like, I'm just going to write it down. Mm-hmm. And I ended up writing all of these poems that were just popping out of me. And, and I'm so glad I did. And I don't, and the end of this story is not like, oh, and then they all got published. Like they didn't, <laughs> I didn't even submit them to get published. I don't even know if they're any good, but I'm just glad there's no part of me that regrets actually taking a few seconds to jot down the thing that came into my brain because you never know. Like maybe I will go back to it one day and I'll be like, oh, that's lovely. Let me share that with a friend. And then maybe it would mean something to that. You know, you, you don't know what life, something that you create is going to have. Even if it's never used for anything else, even if nobody ever sees it, but you, the joy you got, uh, the whatever we want to put word we want to put to it that you got from simply expressing that, just writing it down mm-hmm. is going to boost your happiness. And there's lots of scientific studies that happy people are more productive. So it's not an unproductive thing to give voice to whatever creative impulse you're feeling in a moment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you have mentioned that you coach other people who want to write. What suggestions can you offer women who want to set a goal around expressing creativity or finding ways to do that, whether it's writing or something else? This is something obviously that's you've thought about and you've made a part of your life and you help other people with sort of establishing and pursuing goals around their own creativity. Can you offer any suggestions to those of us who maybe want to do that, maybe want to make that a part of our lives? Yeah, I think the first step is just to follow your gut, like trust your intuition. I mean, I, my intuition was that I wanted to write novels. I wanted to be a novelist, but it took me a long time to get there because I had all of this self-doubt and preconceptions about what I had to do first. It was like, well, I should probably learn to write a short story first, but I don't even want to learn to write a short story. So let me put that off. (laughs) And then like, I should, maybe I should get an MFA. I don't know why I had that, but it was just this, this, this kind of imposter syndrome. And then one day I just did it. I sat down and I wrote a novel and I had never, I wasn't a short story writer. I didn't start with short stories. I didn't get a master's in creative writing. I had never taken a class on how to write a novel. I just wrote a novel and then it became a published novel. Like I am a novelist now. (laughs) Hmm. I find that a lot of people who have the impulse to write a story whether it's a novel or something shorter, an essay, they're waiting for permission, which I was too. They're waiting for permission from someone to say, do it. You can do this. You're qualified to do this. And so that's what I like to give first is permission because we all have it. And you ask permission, you already asked permission. So just try it. Like, and who cares if it's bad? If it's bad, you don't have to show it to anyone again. Or you can revise it and make it better. Like there's so many things that can happen after you do it. <laughs> and that's going to be true of any any sort of creative endeavor, whether it's writing or painting or drawing or photography or anything. There's that concept of 
iteration. Mm-hmm. You get something down there that you can either just enjoy the process of having created it, whether you think it's any good or not, or if you want to make it better, you can do that. Yes, exactly. And it's always possible to make it better. I mean, anything is fixable. Like I very much believe that like anything is, anything can be turned into something good, Yeah. but you have to have something to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, when it comes to writing anything, whether it's a legal document or a story or something, I don't like first drafts. I have a really hard time with them because I have a very, very loud and obnoxious internal editor that's constantly telling me how terrible it is. Yeah. But I love revising. If I can just sort of spew something onto the page, no matter how terrible I think it is, then I've got something to work with. And I enjoy that process of tweaking it and trying to make it better and and more reflective of what I had in mind when I sat down and started. But that raises a question of how do you know when it's, you know, for lack of a better phrase, good enough? How do you stop yourself from the continual and perpetual tinkering and never actually sort of shipping, so to speak? Yeah, this is an ongoing struggle for me. And I think probably for a lot of writers, right? But I mean, I sometimes say like my published books are never published because they were finished. They were published because we decided they were done. (laughs) And because it was time, because we had a timeline and a production schedule and it was, they were good enough. Like I like your wording, good enough. It was good enough to come out. But if I, I mean, when I do book events where I'm reading from my published novels, I am, I'm editing as I read aloud. I'm not reading the words on the page (laughs) because I, because I see things I want to be different. And so I just, they come out differently when I read the same thing I do when I read books to my son. Like I change the words that I'm reading on the page to what I think they should be. So he'll go like, this isn't how khaki his grandmother reads it. And I'm like, I know I can't resist. I just edit. I love that. (laughs) But yeah, and I, so I think it's, it's never ending. It's just deciding it's good enough. And for me, it's always painful. It's always like someone pulling it out of my hands and it's like, but I just want to change. And they're like, nope, nope, it's gone to press. We can't Mm -hmm. change that anymore. And you're like, (laughs) (laughs) but it could be better. Yes, exactly. And I guess there's a, there's maybe a beauty in it you know, in having to let go and let something that feels imperfect be in the world, like it's probably a really good life lesson every time that happens. You're probably right. <laughs> like the wiser part of me thinks that, but the less wise part of me just wants to fix it. <laughs> I could talk with you about this kind of stuff forever, but we don't want to have a four hour long podcast episode. So, I, you know, th- <laughs> this conversation that you and I are having is is part of a, a recurring Uh, series that I've done on the podcast about that I've kind of called the productive living series. Um, As you know, on this podcast, we talk about productivity as more than just getting stuff done. I mean, we, we have things we need and want to get done, but it's more than that. We, uh, for the productive woman for this podcast and for me, uh, a productive person, a productive woman is a woman who orders her life in such a way as to maximize her positive impact on the world. That's what I think of as making a life that matters. And that's what a productive life is, is a life that matters as you define it for yourself. And so I I wonder, what does it mean to you to make a life that matters? 
I love that question. I think I would answer this question very differently depending on when you asked me and probably differently even two years ago. I don't know. But right now, I think a light for me, a life that matters is one where I am experiencing joy and experiencing that joy in the presence of people that I love. And that's pretty much it. (laughs) I want them to have joy and I want to have joy myself. And I think there's a lot of meaning and beauty in that. And it, for me, it feels like a really small answer. Like in the past, I think I would have answered more something about like impact on people and humanity and something bigger that has to do with strangers. And like, and I don't say that self-deprecatingly. Like, I think that was super earnest. And I think I've, it's one reason I've done what I've done and written books. And like, I, I want to connect with people on a big, bigger scale and have a positive impact on the world. I just think in the, I've, I've had just life experience in the past couple of years that right now has left me feeling like I just kind of wanting a smaller life, <laughs> but that's the season I'm in. Mm. Oh, in 10 years, you might ask me, it might be like, I have this big answer again, you know? And I, I think that's kind of a cool thing too, about our relationship to it can evolve and that's okay. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, in my, I've been a productivity nerd since at least middle school. <laughs> and in you know, the early years of my life, I thought of productivity as just checking things off a list, getting lots of stuff done. And and I certainly have changed my view of that over the years, even in the years that I've been uh, hosting this podcast. And it really comes down to figuring out what matters, what yeah. matters most to, to me. And a productive life, a life that matters is a life that addresses those things that are most important to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's a right or wrong uh, approach to that. I, it, it really just involves looking within and figuring out what, what is important to me and how am I going to make my life reflect that? Yeah, I love that. So I have a, a question I'm going to ask you kind of at the end regarding how you deal with life when it happens. But before we get into that, just on a a sort of practical level, are there any tools or approaches, uh, things that you use to help you get the things done that are important to you? You know, you, you write, you coach other writers, you have that business, you, you're a, a mom and a wife and a citizen of, you know, the state and the world. Are there any particular tools that you find helpful in making sure that you get the things done that are important to you? I do a lot by hand, handwriting. So in those months after I had my son, when I was writing my, my novel, I've really found the power of handwriting for me, like stepping away from technology. Mm -hmm. And if I'm doing anything that really requires my brain to kind of think outside the box, and that could be anything from processing something I'm struggling with a big question that's professional or personal to working on a novel I do it by hand like I set the computer aside and do it by hand so that's become a really important tool for me it's just a pen and a piece of paper that's the first one that comes to mind even though it's 
Not, retro. No, <laughs> retro. <laughs> I like that. Well, retro is cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> I find myself doing the same thing, and I am a tech geek. I love all the technology and, and the apps and things like that. But, mm. um, and mm-hmm. I have, you know, digital planners that I've used. But at this season of my life, my to do list is a piece of paper. It, it helps me get out of my head uh, onto the list what needs to be done. And I, enjoy the satisfaction of checking off something or scratching it out after it's done. So do you have any particular, I mean, do you use a, a, a paper or digital calendar to keep track of deadlines and appointments or anything like that, that, that works for you? I don't, if I am actively working on a book, I will on paper put every date for the next however many days, 30, usually for me, it's like 30 or 60 days and a line next to each date. And on that line, I wrote how many words I wrote that day or how many pages I wrote that day. That feels really good to me. It's on a poster board and I hang it on my wall. So, and then I, when I finish the book, I say, I have all those poster boards. I even moved with them because they just make me happy to look at because I, you know, it's just like, it feels like, I don't know. It's a moment. It's a memento from that time. Sure. Evidence of the work that you did. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's really the one thing that I do. I, my to-do lists and stuff are all on the computer. My appointments are on the computer and my calendar, but that maybe because that's the most, that's like the goal that I will typically care about the most. Mm-hmm. So that feels really good to have it like tangible and on my wall so that I can see my progress as it's happening. I like it. Well, let me ask you this. This is a question I've asked every guest that's been on this podcast. And I ask it because we all can learn from each other uh, about certain things. You have systems in place that work for you for getting the things done that, that are important to you. But you're obviously productive in the sense of putting out those novels and caring for your child and, and all of that. But with all that in mind, do you ever have a day when it just all gets away from you or you get completely stressed out and overwhelmed? And if so, what do you do to get back on track? Yes, I do. And I have really had to learn that it is okay to cancel something. Mm. like for so long, it would be like, I would barrel through any commitment I had, whether it was a meeting or a class or even just something that's supposed to be fun and social, like meeting a friend for dinner or drink. It would be like, I have to go because I said I would, even though I don't feel like I'm okay. You know, it would be like, well, I would cancel if I had the flu or something, but like the emotional equivalent of the flu is not justification enough to cancel on someone. Mm And now I'll just go, look, I'm not in the right headspace for this, whatever it is. Mm. And I think that has just been really good for my life, for the quality of my life. Like it's not letting someone down if you just need to reschedule something by a day. Like it's okay. They're good. They're okay. You're okay. Everyone's okay. And often they appreciate it. They appreciate like you're modeling how to draw a yeah. boundary and be like, I'm, I need a minute because I'm not going to be able to show up for you in the way that I want to be able to show up for you. And so let's do this tomorrow or let's do this in a couple of days. Yeah, I like that. I mean, to give ourselves permission to take care of ourselves in that way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's a great recommendation. <laughs> 
Mary, there's so much more I'd love to talk with you about, but uh, I think we ought to wrap this up for the sake of keeping this episode at a reasonable length. Maybe we can have another conversation another time. But in the meantime, if there's someone listening who wants to learn more about you, what you're doing, the services you offer in your business and so on, where can people connect with you online? How can they make that connection to learn more about you? Yeah. So they can go to my website, which is Mary Atkins um, Writer, uh, W-R-I-T-E-R Writer, <laughs> uh, MaryAtkinsWriter.com. Or they can go, the program I run is called The Book Incubator. So they can also go to TheBookIncubator.com if they want to explore that. Um, and then I also have, if they like YouTube, for you people who enjoy watching YouTube, I have a lot of YouTube videos with writing tips and strategies. Um, I post a video every week. So they could just search for my name on YouTube and they'll find it. Excellent. And I'll put links to all that in the show notes. So if anyone who's listening is driving or on the treadmill or something and can't write it down, you'll be able to find all those links in the show notes. Maybe most of the women who listen to the Productive Woman podcast are are looking for help and and some encouragement in getting things done and making a life that matters as as she may define it for herself thinking about how creativity fits into that objective do you have any last words for the woman who might be listening and and looking for that encouragement or or help yeah i would love to end on a note like that i think my my thought is i encourage people to be open to entertaining their creativity without knowing what it's going to be yet. When I was having those poetic phrases come into my head and and they turned out to be poems, there was a part of me that was like, but is this a poem? What am I going to do with it? Am I saying I'm going to become a poet now? Like, you know, our minds immediately go to like, but what is the point of this? Mm. And I think it can be really exciting and really generative in surprising ways. If you can let yourself just indulge any creative inspiration you have, like get it down, whatever it is without having to define it yet, Mm. because that will become known. So you don't have to decide, like, am I just saying that I now am going to be a novelist or a playwright or a screenwriter or a poet? It's like, no, you don't have to decide that yet, but just like write it down and like, let it become what it's going to become. And that will become apparent at some point to you later. You don't have to force it. And I feel like I've created some really cool things that way and had fun doing it. I love that. Great advice. Thank you so much, Mary, for taking time to talk with us today. Such a pleasure. Thanks, Laura. I am really glad to have had the opportunity to talk with Mary and for her thought-provoking insights on how carving out time for your creativity is a critical and undervalued piece of self-care and her practical suggestions for making creative self-care part of our lives. If you're interested in learning more about the work she's doing, definitely check out her website and her novels and connect with her on Instagram, especially if you're an aspiring novelist who might benefit from her coaching program. We'll have links to all that in the show notes. In the meantime, I'd love to know what you think. Um, Do you have any questions or comments for Mary or for me? You can share those in the comments section of the show notes for this episode, which you'll find at theproductivewoman.com slash 464, or post a comment or question on the Productive Woman Facebook page 
Um, if you're a member of the Productive Woman Community Facebook group, you can also share your thoughts there as well. As always, if you prefer to share your thoughts with me privately, you can do that by emailing your questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com, and I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoy this podcast, I would appreciate it if you would help me expand the community. Tell a friend about the podcast, maybe share an episode with someone who you think would enjoy it by using the social sharing buttons on the show notes. Uh, or you can leave a review in Apple Podcasts. I would like to take just a brief moment to say thank you to some people who've done just that recently, left uh, ratings and reviews of the podcast, uh, one of them being Glovely87 from the United States, who left a five-star rating and said, I kept looking for the like button. I'm so happy I found you. You're amazing at explaining task management. Well, that was very kind. Thank you very much for saying so. Um, also 2020 green eyes also from the United States left a five-star rating and said, this is one of my favorite podcasts every week. Laura is truly a woman I admire. I also am a professional and mother of multiple kids, and I love her stories of when she was raising her kids. Her topics are always very relevant to struggles and concerns in my life. I enjoy the book reviews she gives and all of her tips to make life a little easier and more productive. Her perspective gives me a look into my future and what really matters in life. We do have so much in common in our interests and thoughts. I feel like she's kind of like a helpful aunt guiding me through life. Thank you, Laura, and I hope you continue this podcast for a long time. Well, thank you, 2020 Green Eyes. Uh, I, I really appreciate hearing that. And finally, Angela from the United States also left a five-star rating and said, in my 30s and thankful, love this podcast. Thanks for the insight and the sound advice. Thank you, Angela. Remember, for listeners of this podcast, Text Expander is offering 20% off your purchase of this outstanding productivity tools. Visit textexpander.com slash TPW to learn more and use my code TPW at checkout to get 20% off your purchase. And thank you to Text Expander for supporting the Productive Woman podcast. Well, that's it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for spending this time with me and with Mary. I hope you felt like it was a worthwhile use of your time. I look forward to talking with you again soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter. Matter.